Hi, this is Mark Wiltshire, and thanks for choosing to listen to the Explore Finland radio show. This episode was recorded when I went to visit Kuro Distillery Company in nearby Isokuro. This was a suggestion from one of my listeners, Keith, who's recently become one of the co-presenters with me on the Finnish Football Show podcast, so thanks, Keith, for the suggestion. I visited Kuro Distillery with Satu, expecting an introduction to the company and a quick tour of the distillery. Two and a half hours later, we'd received a history lesson about the village of Isokuro, learned about the formation and the first five years of Kuro Distillery Company, and spent 90 minutes on a tour of the distillery itself. So I had enough for a two-part episode. In the previous episode, I learned about the history of the village and the story of the company. This episode, I go on a very detailed personal tour of the distillery with Kalle Valkonen, head distiller, and another of the co-founders of the Kuro Distillery Company. So let's head over to my conversation with Kalle. Okay, now I'm with Kalle Valkonen, who's the head distiller at Kuro Distillery uh, and also one of the founders of the company. So, Kalle, thank you for, for joining me today. Uh, it's good to have you, Mark, here. And thank you for taking us on a tour of the distillery. Yeah, I, for me, I'm because I'm responsible for the production, for me, of course, the key to the whole is, is, is the production side and, and how, it, how we actually make the liquids we we then send out to the world and like we want to say spread the love to the rye we're going to be ta- walking through a few different rooms with different procedures and processes going on so that the sound quality will change at the moment uh, we're in quite a cool room with a, an incredible smell of yeah we are now in the malt storage so this is actually where the whole process for whiskey on our side begins so basically uh I will tell you a little bit about what was the whole idea behind the, the company. Not going on the details, uh, but but the idea came into sauna. And uh, the idea behind there was that we were drinking rye whiskey. And then we started thinking about why is no one doing rye whiskey in Finland, even though that would be the most original grain for the Finns to make whiskey of. And we also had this kind of a naivistic thought that actually the the only thing, or not the only, but uh, one thing that most of the Finns going abroad miss from their home country is the rye bread. So you yes. cannot really, really get a proper Finnish rye bread uh, outside Finland. And we thought that if we make the rye bread to a liquid form, meaning making a rye whiskey, then you would always be comfortable also outside Finland and you could sip the, the, the rye from your homeland and, and that way ease the pain of, of being abroad. And the rye whiskey lasts a lot longer than a bag of rye bread. As well. A rye whiskey, at least you can preserve it for longer time yeah. periods, but, but it's depending on the company and, and people who enjoy it, how long actually a bottle of rye whiskey lasts. Yes, that's, that's true. I had an evening with some friends a month or so ago and there were several bottles and none of them lasted very long yeah. during that evening. So I think we've all recovered now. But uh... Yeah, yeah. So the idea was then that, okay, let's make a rye whiskey like we make the Finnish rye bread, meaning it's 100% rye. Okay. And and that's something that set us apart from most of the distilleries making rye whiskey. So if we look at USA, they do rye whiskey and 
it's normally uh, in the grain bill you still have other grains in. So meaning that you can call your whiskey to be a rye whiskey means that you need only one, uh, 51% uh, of rye in it. And the rest is normally corn or barley. And that has an effect on the cost, I guess it makes it... That's, uh, yeah, that's, that has an effect on the cost and that has effect on the taste. Sure. But we are hardcore Finns yeah. and wanted to have like the maximal taste of rye in our whiskey as well. So actually everything we do in our process is kind of to preserve the, the deep, the intensive flavor of rye uh, until the, the ready product. I'm surprised being so hardcore that you stopped at 100% and didn't try and push it just a little bit further. Well, we are still realistic. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, so the, the first thought is let's make it Finnish rye whiskey from 100% Finnish rye. And then because we wanted to use only rye, at least some of it needs to be molded. And because we were single malt fans at that point, we thought, let's make a single malt rye whiskey. Nowadays, to the EU le- new legislations, starting like this this May, we are not anymore allowed to, to call it single malt rye because a single malt is preserved only for barley. But it's still 100% malted finished rye what we produce here. And we are at the moment in the malt storage where, where the journey begins for us. So we... We source uh, Finnish fry molded in by Viking malt in uh, in Lahti. They have a molster there. And it, well, what does that mean? That that when you say it's been malted, glad that you ask because uh, the molding is uh, is very molting basically means that you uh, start to grow the grain, and in the beginning of the growth phase, when it starts to germinate, uh, the the grain. Uh, will have these uh, uh, enzymes inside. So the, the enzymes, which are made for uh, breaking down the starch to sugars, which the, obviously the, the grain needs to grow, will develop in the beginning of this malting or germination uh, phase. And of course, when we want to make rye whiskey, we don't want it uh, to germinate uh, only to that degree that kind of the conversion of this enzyme is ready. Yeah, okay. I, I felt like it was something I should know, but yeah. now you've explained it to me. I never did know that, yeah. so that, that's good, good to ask. I know yeah. there'll be some people listening to this thinking, of course, you idiot, and there'll be others <laughs> hopefully thinking, oh, I'm glad he asked that because I didn't yeah. know. So there's one for you. Yeah, I, I hope, hope we can all, all learn about the process today, something, yeah. and... Uh, uh, yeah, the, the molding is crucial thing for making whiskey because the, the enzymes we use in the process for breaking down the starch to sugars needs to come from the grain. So in any form, if you would make whiskey, we always need uh, some part of the grain to be molded. And we chose to do it like the single malt style or like we like to say cure malt or, or rye malt whiskey. And... Like I said, it's been molded when it comes here. It's quite crispy. You should taste it. So, so before milling, uh, from each of the batch, batch of the rye, you just take, take some. Uh, we also taste it. That's kind of our first uh, quality control of the, the grain. So uh, the malt 
has a specific flavor and, and if there is some variation, we, we know it from uh, right away that, okay, now there is something we should look into. So Who, whose job is it to taste all of this? Well, it, it's the we've got three distillers on the whiskey side, and they take care of the daily process. and And every time we get the new batch of rye, they just taste it. and And it's not very scientific method, but it's a, a your taste is quite precise method mm. actually to uh, to kind of uh, know if there is some difference. And if there is, then we will look further into. If there is some deviation, we need to take uh, into account in the process. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll taste it now, uh, only for the purpose that I like to taste the fry. <laughs> but now we have to give you thirty seconds to yeah, actually yeah. eat it before we can get your get your opinion on it. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's quite crispy. I actually. Uh, uh, the first thing comes to in my mind from the the rye malt is actually the uh, uh, the hapankorppuleiva. Mm -hmm. You know that one, mm -hmm. the vasa vasa crisp. A very thin, um, sour, crispy sour bread, basically. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, the crispy sour bread, and uh, and it's uh, very dry and and kind of a crispy, which is good for the process because the second step when the malt comes in is the milling and we want to make it like to a coarse floor and for that one we use our hammer mill here uh, besides us okay and and for one batch of uh, of fry whiskey which we make here our batch size is 3000 liters meaning 3000 liters of the mash uh, the liquid and for that batch we need uh, 650 kilos of rye so the first step is is the milling. After that, it will go uh, go to the mash, mashing ton. We could actually go to the mashing side to, to see see how the mashing is actually made, and I can explain it to you much better. Let's do that because one of the machines here has just kicked in and made it a little bit noisy. So let's head to the. Yeah, I can switch it off then. Okay, let's do that. So so basically, the mashing mashing is for the conversion of the. Uh, the storage uh, molecules, meaning starch, in the rye, the sugars. So like I told you previously, in the molding we form the enzymes which will, which will break down the starch, the sugar molecules, and we need those sugar molecules to make alcohol with the yeast. So mashing uh, of rye whiskey is, has some tricky parts in it because the rye is very sticky grain, to work with. So first step, when, when the rye comes into the mashing tank, which is basically 4,000 liter stainless steel tank with a very good agitator inside, it goes through a pre-masher. And a pre-masher uh, has a function to moist the rye already on the way when it drops into the tank. And, and through that, we don't get any, any boiling of the rye. So it will be evenly mixed with the water uh, on the way when it drops into the tank. Uh, in the tank, we then adjust the temperature, optimal for the enzymes to break down the sugars. And for us, the most important enzyme is called beta-amylase. And beta-amylase uh, breaks down starch into sugar molecules, 
which are two like a sugar molecule long and and for through that we get the maltose maltose is a, a very good uh, energy source for for the yeast so that happens in a 63 degrees of celsius centigrade and it takes about an, an hour so we agitate the rye mash inside the stainless steel tank with the uh, with those agitators in 63 degrees and this uh, rye kind of uh, it's a thin porridge what we have in there and during this one hour it will turn completely sweet so we have a sweet uh, sweet liquid containing also all the solids of the rye inside so it it's uh, like the breakfast for the distillers when they come in here they they might take a sip sip from uh, from the the mash because well it's a full grain rye and it's it's fairly sweet sweet one and it's not alcoholic yet either at at that point it's not alcoholic so you can easily drink that or eat that in the morning and so that process takes about an hour and in the process we also adjust the pH of the uh, of the mash to be optimal for the conversion of the, the sugars by adding a little bit of uh, lactic acid in, into, into the mash. So, very simple process. Um, after the one hour, we start cooling it down. Uh, at that point, we are at the 60 degrees, but we want to go down to 20 degrees. So, it's a good temperature for the yeast uh, to go in. So, basically, the first step mashing, turning the, the starch to sugars. Second step, cooling it down. Third step, we add the yeast to the mash. And now comes the most important part of the, the whole process, and that's the fermentation. So during the fermentation, the yeast cells uh, eat the, the maltose uh, in, in the mash and break it down to CO2, which of course evaporates, and to alcohol molecules. And during that process, it also forms uh, some, some aromatics, uh, which we want to have in our final product as well. Our fermentation takes place uh, uh, in the steel tanks, and it takes up to six days. So basically, the alcoholic fermentation is actually almost over in three days. So after three days, we already have this 9 to 9.5% 9 uh, percent of alcohol in the liquid. But we will extend the fermentation time to six days uh, to get even more aromatics in. And that comes through uh, the natural lactic acid bacteria, which are present in the rye malt. And during these uh, uh, days from four to six, uh, we have a lactic acid fermentation forming lactic acids. So actually, after the fermentation, we have this rye mash, 8.5% uh, 9, 9 uh, of alcohol, but it's also like a really acid, acid uh, uh, potion. So you, you, you really don't want to, to drink that one. And so far, that's all happening in the same tank as well. Well, okay, I, I, I stepped that one. Uh, okay, okay. We, we, we just after the mashing... Uh, after it, it has been cooled down, we will uh, transfer it to one of the, the fermenters, okay, okay. which we have actually at the moment. We have, a, a f 
have to count. Ah, five fermenters, from which three are like a double batch fermenters. Uh, so the, the smaller ones hold 3,000 liters. The bigger ones uh, can hold one uh, like a 6,000 liter batch. And uh, so we, with the six days fermentation, we can do up to uh, nine batches of uh, whiskey a week. And <clears throat> the second, uh, the next step after the fermentation, so why the lactic acid uh, uh, formation in the, in the fermentation is important comes actually in the distillation. When we, we have some acid uh, and lactic acid in, uh, in the mash during the distillation, which will be in a, obviously the, the next part of the process, during the distillation, those will form with ethanol, and, and these acids will form esters. And esters are, are these, uh, like a flower or fruity flavors we will have in the new make, in the whiskey we make. So the fermentation, now six days, after that, 9.5% alcohol in the mash. The whole mash will be pumped into our beautiful, beautiful, uh, uh, this uh, pot still, and this pot still can can hold up uh, up to three thousand liters of uh, uh, of the mash. And like you can see, uh, it's made from copper. It's not only for looks. It's only not only for looks. So copper was uh, originally used for uh, distillation uh, for the stills because it was easy to to form the shape. Uh, from the copper, and it, it was also uh, also good. Uh, it has a very good heat transfer, so it was easy to heat up and and and, and use it for the distillation. It's an interesting thing. It's also almost shaped like a a pestle and mortar that you use for grinding up herbs or something like that. A big handle on top and a and a or a weight like a like a an old fashioned weight that you would use for weighing things on a yeah, on a yeah. scale. I don't know, Mark, if this will, will clarify uh, for our listeners how it actually looks like. But yeah, it has this kind of, uh, we call it like a neck or uh, neck of the still, which uh, this one has, has this kind of a round shape, uh, which is actually quite familiar from uh, uh, like a pepper grinder. Yeah, pepper grinder is, a, is a yeah. even better. Well done. Yeah. yeah, that's a much better description. And maybe maybe Satu can take a picture yeah, that, of one that, of these. She's already she's nodding. Yeah, she's already yeah. done it. Good stuff. Yeah, that that's <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. Yeah, and so we basically have uh, three parts in our one pot still. So of course we have the pot where the liquid goes in. We will heat the pot so start boiling boiling the mash. Then we will have the neck which looks like the pepper grinder, and <clears throat> so. That's kind of the headspace. So that's where the alcohol fumes go up, and and then there's a pipe going to uh, to this colon on this side, and that's actually our cooler. So we we put in uh, cold water from from downside, and the alcohol vapors come from. Up this there. is the distillation process. I, I learned Listen. something in my science yeah. lessons very good, very 30 good. or more years ago. Yeah, so this is the distillation process. And, and in the condenser, the alcoholic vapors will be all, again condensed to a liquid. So in the first step of our distillation, so we use double distillation, which is the typical method that the Scots use making their, their single malt whiskey. 
And we chose this method uh, after experimenting with the different kind of methods and found out that actually we get the most round, most full body taste with using uh, this uh, uh, pot still distillation method. <clears throat> and I was coming to that, that actually the, the use of copper has a, has a function, not just looking, uh, looking neat from outside, but once people started using stainless steel, and they were, of course, making stills from stainless steel, they noticed that actually the flavor is, is not so good when you use completely a stainless steel uh, distillation apparatus. I will okay, switch off the, the motors. <laughs> so basically, uh, the, the reason for, for copper is actually that it works as a cat catalyst. Uh, and that one, it degrades if we have sulfury compounds, which we will have normally always when we have a fermentation, there are some, some degree of sulfury compounds in there, which are highly volatile. And the copper surface inside the hot still will then uh, turn these uh, uh, sulfury compounds to, to solid ones. So if we peek into the still, we will see that actually the, the layer inside is completely uh, black. Okay. And, and those are the sulfur, sulfur compounds which we get rid of by using copper instead of using only stainless steel. If you go to a, a modern distillery having these big colons, and those are normally made from stainless steel, but they always have, at some point of the process, uh, like a, they call it catalysator, which is then packed with uh, uh, like a crowned copper, having a lot of copper surface to do, do the same effect that we have in, in these uh, neat-looking copper stills. So the first distillation is just uh, for that we can separate uh, the solids the, from the mash, the alcohol, and all the flavor that can be distilled will be transferred to the uh, low wines, which is the distillate from this first step of the process. And the low wines, uh, we distill until we've evaporated all the alcohol from the mash. And the distillation is kind of based on the fact that the alcohol boils at 78.3 degrees, whereas water boils at 100 degrees. So once we start to heat up the pan, the alcohol will be evaporating first. But it, of course, it doesn't mean, mean that only alcohol evaporates. It's, there's going to be a lot of uh, evaporation of the water. And after the first distillation, we will have like a triple amount of alcohol uh, in our low wines that was in the original mash. So in our case, that means that we start in, uh, uh, with 9.5 and we end up with uh, around 28% of alcohol in, in the low wines. Yeah. So from one batch, 3,000 liters, we get approximately one-third, so to be exact, 950 liters of the low wines. And that was the first step of distillation. Then the second step, the second distillation, uh, we will make in this uh, little bit smaller one, uh, smaller pot still, it looks exactly the same, it's just uh, slightly smaller. Mm. And in this process comes now the, the kind of the art of distillation uh, into, uh, into picture. So we load in the low wines, <clears throat> and then we load in uh, the heads and tails from a previous batch. I will tell you soon what the heads and tails are. So in the second distillation, we have now 28% of alcohol, 
we start distillation and, and this time we make cuts. So we separate, separate the alcohol coming out from the still in actually four cuts. So the first cut is methanol cut. So we call it methanol cut. It's always uh, the same amount of liquid and that's just to make sure we don't have any methanol uh, in our process accumulating and therefore coming into the spirit. So, and actually for the methanol cut, we also have a use nowadays. So uh, all the waste alcohol, which we cannot uh, uh, use in our process, we will send out to SD1, it's a, which is a biofuel company, and they will make, uh, make alcohol for biofuel from, from those distillates. So you, you're finding a way to sell your byproduct? Well, we are not selling it. We, we, we are, they, they take it. So it's, it, otherwise it would be kind of a waste material yeah, for yeah, us. Okay, so, okay. so they take it for a good purpose. And but it's, it's interesting, this kind of circular economy where people are finding ways for their waste to be used by another yeah. company that uses that and yeah. turns it into something into something else. The other waste, actually, the biggest amount of waste is, of course, after the first distillation. So we've evaporated the alcohol out from, and we still have like 2,000 liters with these uh, uh, rye solids in, in, inside. There are some uh, proteins from the yeast, uh, some fibers from the, uh, from the rye, which cannot be fermented. And... And this one we use as a cattle feed. So a local okay. uh, feed, animal feed company uh, takes up always the pot ale from us and, and uses it for a cattle feed for actually a, a farm or uh, a place where they are, a farmhouse where they are, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, growing some, uh, some cattle and actually some, also some mangalitsa pigs eats our, eat our waste material, the pot ale. So almost everything we comes out from the process, also the side streams mm. have some kind of use. And, and, and that's also what we, we try to do, like that, uh, that there, there is actually no, not that much waste, waste coming from the process. When my kids tell me that they don't like science, oh, science is boring, or I'm not good at science, and then you think of everything you've been describing so far, that's just taking me back to th yeah. certain things that I learned in school. Yeah, they, science it, can be fun as well, can't it? Science is extremely fun, yeah. <laughs> and my, my background is actually, I'm not a distiller from, I'm from a profession, but my education is actually in biology and okay. environmental ecology. And, and of course, having that background, I also pay a lot of respect to our nature, like we all should, but also... Uh, when we try to optimize our process, we try to optimize it so that we don't uh, generate any uh, waste streams. Yeah. Okay. Right. And and yeah, and, and of course, kind of having a science degree in a microbiology, it's very good for the first step of the process for the fermentation, and 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 probably that's why I highlight that actually the fermentation is the part of the process where the uh, aromatics are formed. And the distillation is then just kind of a separating these aromatics to, to a set we want to have them. So the but, fermenting is where the magic takes place. Yeah, the fermenting is where the magic takes place. Having a, using a different type of yeast strain, we can variate the process really much. So 
the yeast is is very good friend of us, and 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 we like to take care of the yeast. So that's why, for I didn't mention earlier in our fermentation, uh, the alcoholic fermentation it's not very energy efficient uh, process. So uh, the heat, uh, the yeast will generate a lot of heat during the fermentation, and we cap the temperature in the mash in our fermentation to keep the yeast happy. So we don't want it the temperature to go too high because then then the yeast will be kind of like a supercharged. It will work faster, faster, faster. And when you work too fast, you start to produce some of the, the aromatics, which wouldn't be that good for our yeah. product. So yeah. uh, also in the fermentation, we like to have a, a good control of what's happening inside. You were talking about cutting the methanol. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. then there was something else. <laughs> there was something else at that stage. We went off on a tangent, but let's, let's yeah, come back. Yeah, let, let's come back. So that, the first cut, the first drops coming uh, in uh, out from the second still, that's the methanol cut. After that, we start to recover uh, the heads. Heads still have a lot of like uh, oils from the previous distillation. They... Uh, actually, it's a, it's a like a nail polish remover uh, type of smell which we we have in in the, the heads. So that's obviously things we don't want to have in 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 the final product. So we put those aside, and actually the the nail polish remover is kind of a signal molecule for us. So once it fades out from the distillate coming out from the still, we know that now it's time to make the second cut and start recovering. Uh, the hearts, which is the like its name, the hard part of the distillation, and that's also the part which we will then use for making whiskey. So, uh, what happens actually in the distillation? The first drops come in out, uh, and we have a very high alcohol content. And when we start taking uh, up the the, uh, the hearts, we will be around seventy percent of. Uh, alcohol uh, in the liquid. And then we will continue uh, recovering the hearts until the alcohol uh, percentage of the distillate drops to round 60. And after that, the, the taste starts to change to a way we don't, uh, it, which is not pleasurable anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like uh, licking your concrete garage floor <laughs> So you know, know this taste. If you don't, uh, then I, go. I, actually, I'm not that familiar with the taste of my garage yeah. floor. But 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 what what actually is happening? This uh, in the faints, in the in the in the tails, we start to have like this long chain fatty acids in there, and that doesn't. It's not the pleasureful taste anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Now we made again one more 15 minutes, so we switch off the. Uh, the motors again and, and continue with that one. But I, I just say one thing about the, uh, the tails. So the heads and tails, like I said in the beginning, those still have a lot of taste which we like uh, besides these uh, molecules which we don't want to have in, in the distillate obviously. And it has a lot of alcohol. So when we recycle the heads and tails uh, always to the next batch, uh, we will uh, have higher use of the alcohol, but we will have also more bold taste in our new make in yeah. the distillate which we use for the whiskey. Interesting. Okay. Should we actually peek into our barrel storage to 
to talk about the whiskey maturation because at this point we only have like a strong alcohol but it needs at least three years in a barrel let's go and see where yeah. where alcohol becomes whiskey brilliant okay so now we arrive to our barrel storage this one is actually uh, we are also in an old dairy and this room was used for storing ice. So they were sowing ice from the river in the winter time, bringing it into this room, covering it with the sawdust. And the whole summertime, they could use that one to cool down the milk. Standing here now, it feels quite frigid in yeah. here anyway. So it's no wonder that the ice would last yeah. a few months down here. And you can, you can also see that the... the uh, the walls are so inclined and that was the way that when the ice was melting it it packed uh, inside more tightly and and yeah and everything was obviously co covered with the sawdust and this one is uh, our smallest barrel warehouse uh, we are having here uh, barrels made from uh, uh, oak mainly new american oak and they vary in size from 30 liters to 200 liters. Like said previously, uh, we need aging to make whiskey. So in in EU and in, in Finland, it means uh, if that you can call uh, an alcohol whiskey, it needs to be at least uh, three years old. Three years matured in a wooden barrel, no larger than 700 liters okay. so that's kind of the, the definition of uh, of uh, whiskey aging you said new oak so are they or some some whiskies use barrels that have previously been used to store wine or something like that yeah. to take flavor or color from the barrels what about the barrels you use here so the barrels we use here uh, we found out that actually the new american white oak or works really well uh, with the character of the rye spirit we have because the rye has a lot of these peppery earthy flavors so what we gain from the barrel using this american oak we we get more this uh, coconut uh, vanilla uh, flavor more sweetness than from an european oak so that's why we have chosen to use mainly american oak we also have some experimental stuff with the uh, with wine barrels, but that would be a completely a, a second uh, second podcast to to go in 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 detail on on those. I think we've already got at least two episodes from today's visit, so maybe Very, maybe some some other time. Yeah, so uh, we we can say that they are like uh, if we want to simplify things, what we need to because. Uh, I don't know exactly what's happening in the barrels. If we go to a chemical level, what's happening exactly at this moment in this barrel. But there are three, three main processes happening. And one is the evaporation. So we start losing alcohol. When it goes to the barrel, the barrels are made from wood. Uh, the oak is chosen because it's actually very good uh, holding water or liquid inside. And then and but also for the taste so when it goes inside like we can smell here the alcohol starts to evaporate so, so it's leaking through the wood it's leaking through the wood yeah. slowly and we talk about some two to five percent of uh, of the 
the alcohol what we have inside in a year. So it's a it's a quite a big loss in a, in a longer maturation. Uh, but it's not only a downside. We also want to have some degree of evaporation from the barrels because we get rid of some of the taste molecules which we don't want to have in the final product. So the taste gets more refined also through the evaporation. We are losing some of the uh, so alcohol when it goes into the wood inside. And the other place where we start losing things is, is actually in the inner surface of a barrel. So we are looking here at a barrel stave, like a one, one wooden piece from which the, the barrels are made of. And you can, as you can see, the, uh, the barrel from inside is burned to charcoal. So there is a thin layer of charcoal inside the barrel. So there are a couple of reasons why they do it. Uh, the, the main reason is it, when, it, when you heat up the wood, it starts to change the uh, the molecules, <coughs> the wood sugars, and they get more liquid form or extractable form that we can get them into the alcohol. But actually what I wanted to talk at this point was that this uh, charcoal layer here works like an active charcoal. So basically, if we still have some, uh, some of these sulfuric compounds from the distillation, if the copper didn't do its uh, work completely, this uh, layer of in the wood will take up the sulfury notes. Okay, so we start losing stuff. Uh, some degree of evaporation is needed to make a good whiskey, and but then we are gaining some some more taste. And like you say, the color the color actually comes always from the wood. So after the distillation, uh, the the distillate is completely clear. And when we put it in the wood, we start to get this nice brownish color to the, uh, uh, to the whiskey. And depending on what the barrels have been used previously, uh, also affects how much of uh, a color we, we get in there or, or which wood it's made of. So if we look at our uh, whiskey later on, we can see that it has this like a really dark copper brown color. Yeah. So when we use these new American oak barrels, which means that they haven't been used previously, we get a lot of color from the wood, but we also get a lot of the wood sugars. So yeah. we get the vanilla, we get the coconut uh, flavors, we, we get a lot of caramel to the uh, to the whiskey. And <clears throat> that's from the sugars in the wood? That's from the, like the well, the lignin molecule yeah. is very important, uh, cellulose, hemicellulose, and, and from those molecules we extract something to the liquid. Yeah, okay. And that's also, like, science is fun, it, I, I have it, to say. It, 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 and, and, and it's a, it's a really, really, like, a complicated process if you want to go in, in detail in it. So we are gaining some more colors, but then the third thing happening in the barrel that's kind of the most well it's that's the one uh, which we cannot trick so easily uh, and that's the uh, not the evaporation but it's the uh, chemical reactions so when we mix this alcohol which is not completely pure so we have a lot of uh, flavor molecules in it we get some uh, 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 sugars and, and other molecules, tannins, extracted from the wood. 
and then we have oxygen because the the barrels are breathing a little bit, and those are like a very very uh, slow chain of reactions mm. inside the barrel and that's actually what kind of develops the taste that's how we get something else out from uh, from the distillates what we cannot perceive in the beginning which we cannot perceive from the extract of the wood uh, but that's kind of the evolution of of the taste molecules present in there uh, in the presence of oxygen uh, through these oxidation chains and that's how we get like uh, in our whiskey, we have this kind of a honey, honey waxiness, a little bit some uh, uh, apricot, other dried fruits in it, and that comes through the uh, oxidation chains okay. in the in the barrel. So the three years time uh, yeah. is the minimum, but we like to say we always store the whiskey as long as it's good and. But we are also not aiming to storing the whiskey for 12 years, but we are aiming to make a really good whiskey. And I can see that they've got the, the, the kind of the stopper on yeah. the top of the barrel. Are you, how often are you testing what's inside the barrel? Uh, in the beginning, we started to test the barrels after like one year okay. maturation. And, and depending on the barrel... What's the size of it? What's the history of it? We we decide the frequency we really look into the barrel. So normally it's about a half a year. For some some it's it's a lot longer. But when it's getting closer and closer to be ready whiskey, we will increase the frequency and try to find the optimal time to take the liquid out. From yeah. The so you're, you're you're testing it to find when each individual barrel is ready. More or less so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, all the barrels are individual, so yeah. So uh, it, it's been really uh, mind blowing to see how how like we've been filling similar kind of barrels. They should be completely the same, and we have ten barrels in the same environment for three years. And in some of the barrels, the taste is completely different to the others. So as much as there is science, there's still something yeah, that's a, mystical going on. There, there, there well. is some mystical going on. Of course, it uh, comes partly from uh, because it's the barrels are wooden and depending from which part of the oak the staves are made from, uh, it, has there been something in the drying process of the, these particular staves? Uh, and all that affects also to the, to the flavor of the final whiskey and there is always this unknown part but but uh, we already know uh, quite a bit of the the aging and how an individual barrel will age once we've tested it a couple of times and but there are always nice surprises sometimes not so nice but but we can uh, we can kind of quite well already define what will be kind of the average uh, whiskey coming out from from certain type of uh, barrels so people that have invested in a barrel because i know in the very beginning that, yeah. that that's that's what was was happening they just have to be patient until it's ready they they just have to be patient until it's ready and and for the customers so we are actually in the customer barrel warehouse so these all belong to some groups groups of people and and they 
get to taste their whiskey or their distillate aging uh, every six months. So, okay. so that's kind of a unique way to see how the whiskey develops because normally you only get the final product yeah. and then then you tr- try to look at the label and uh, see how it's made but when you have your own barrel maturing here and you can taste the uh, how how the taste evolves during the time period you age it that's a really unique journey yeah they go uh, i was going to say they go on the on the journey with the with yeah. the whiskey from the from the beginning interesting and and we also give them them a recommendation that now it would be a good time to take it out of from the barrel or or we recommend them uh sometimes in some cases because uh uh, we use with the customers smaller barrels and sometimes we get too much wood impact to the, the whiskey and then we recommend them to maybe to transfer the liquid to a bigger barrel and combine it with a couple of different barrels yeah, yeah. and and that's how we can guarantee that the whiskey they've been investing in will be the best quality possible. Okay, where do we where do we head to from here? So basically, we've been through the whiskey process now, but I want to mention that we are actually expanding our whiskey production, okay. uh, and the, hopefully the new distillery will start uh, at the end of the uh, this summer. So it's not far away; it's just uh, the building next to the the old dairy we are where we are located at. Uh, just just across the, the just across, across the, yard. the the front door from the yeah yeah yeah. So like twenty meters apart, okay. and. That was 2017. We were in Scotland and looking at all those beautiful old distilleries there. And, and we thought, like, if we want to make the rye whiskey, the Finnish rye whiskey, uh, to be really something and available for people also outside Finland, we need to uh, increase our whiskey distillation capacity. So we decided that there is a need for Finnish rye whiskey. There is a need, yes. There is a big need for that. So we we decided to invest in a new production facility, which will basically replicate the same process we will have there uh, or in on this side, what we, I've been explaining. But it's a slightly bigger size, so we have tripled the size of the, the batch and tripled okay. the size of the stills, and, and it's a very interesting process. So if you're around uh, later this summer... That will be a very good opportunity to come to see the new new facility. I think that I need to make the opportunity to come here sometime in the summer. I'm thinking that when my parents are here to visit, yeah, in the summertime, that might be the ideal time to come and yeah, uh, yeah. come and check it out. Um, and we haven't even talked about gin. We've been talking for nearly forty five minutes, or oh, maybe uh, longer. Oh, already. this was supposed to be only. <laughs> Only 30 minutes. But let's call it a gin distillery. I I can explain the process to you. Okay, let's do that. Yeah, so now this this room again, it sounds different and it smells different. There's just something, as as someone who drinks more gin than whiskey, it just catches the back of my... Yeah. The back of my throat. Isn't it nice here in every room you have a little bit different uh, aromas? Yeah, that's true. So sometimes when we have uh, uh, parents with small children, 
the the aromas are just too much for the kids. They are like, oh, can we go? Can we go? It smells horrible. Uh, it's interesting because we live in Sainioki and there's the huge grain storage there. So depending yeah. which way the wind is blowing, yeah. you get that smell. Yeah. Um, and I used to live in Northampton in the yeah. UK and there's a big uh, Carlsberg and John Smith's brewery yeah. there. And it was the same thing. You'd get this waft of oats and malt or whatever it was coming yeah. across and... I, I didn't used to like it so much, but yeah. like I say, I'm growing. I'm growing up, and my my yeah. tastes are maturing. And now the the smell in here, yeah, I've enjoyed a lot one. of the the botanicals. There is no alcohol in there. We 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 measured all the time the the alcohol level in the air because it's a safety issue. So uh, by smelling these uh, nice aromatics actually coming from the herbs we use for the gin. Uh, so that's that's what we can sense sense on this side. Yeah. So don't worry, no alcohol in the air. Uh, yeah, we're driving home. Yeah, oh, and now it really now it really came as you yeah. closed the lid. Yeah. Then something really really yeah. hit me. Okay. Yeah, they they've been starting to ferment there a little bit. That. But yeah, the whiskey process was on the other side. Now we are on the gin side in in this nice uh, herbal <laughs> herbal aromas and. This side we built two thousand between two thousand fifteen and two thousand sixteen. So once the Napoe took off, Napoe is the name of the gin, and 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 there was a huge demand on our gin after we won uh, like the gin and tonic trophy with the Napoe gin and tonic on in international wine and spirits competition, and that was uh, back in two thousand fifteen in July, and over the night the demand on Napoe in Finland skyrocketed. And at that time, we only had this one still, which we were using for both whiskey and gin. And that made us also, for the one year, just to produce gin and not whiskey at all. So the, the whiskey side is much younger, mm-hmm. or not much. So we started that production on that side 2016 in August. Uh, and since that, we've been producing continuously uh, whiskey. But at that point, we decided to build a separate gin distillery as well to keep up with the demand, uh, to make uh, make our product even more kind of uh, quality, more stable. And so that's why we needed a more kind of a design process of for making gin. So we basically took the, uh, the the distillery from that side, adjusted it for making gin, and, and built this beautiful distillery here. We are on the river side, so there is uh, behind the steel bars. Yeah. Those are needed because the the customs, so it needs to be like yeah, of uh, protected from uh, breaking in. But behind this uh, big window, we have the Kura River uh, and a lot of uh, light flowing in. But Let's get to the point. Let's get to the gin. So in, on the gin side, we start with uh, rye-based alcohol, but it's, uh, it's distilled to 96%. So there is still rye, rye taste, but it's mainly like just the base alcohol for making gin because in the, the limelight for gin, we, of course, have the botanicals. So uh, gin is, by the definition... Uh, uh, a spirit that that has uh, juniper taste. So juniper is one ingredient you always need to have in gin, 
other restrictions there ain't that many. In our gin, we wanted to kind of a bottle the the Finnish summer. So uh, we thought when we are in Finland, we need to use this uh, pristine nature we have here, all the botanicals we can find, all the berries, which are quite unique uh, for this northern hemisphere. And so we designed a gin, which is uh, kind of a Finnish summer in a bottle. And I was developing it with Mikko, one of the, the other founders, and we came with this idea, like, let's go back to our childhood summers. What did we, which kind of smell we had there? Of course, there was sauna. So bathing in sauna, which botanical we have in the sauna, we had birch, mm -hmm. so birch leaves. We use uh, fresh birch leaves for our uh, gin. Then we use meadowsweet. That's kind of a weed growing uh, besides the streets and, and in all the moist places in Finland. It has a very intense aroma. So when you, when you smell our gin, the first uh, kind of uh, aromas you're getting from there, that's actually coming from the middle sweet. Okay. <clears throat> so it gives some sweetness. We can, uh, we can smell it later on. And then we use some cranberries that gives a little bit acidity to the taste. And then, then also from the local ingredients, we use sea buckthorn. Okay. Yeah. And the sea buckthorn is actually quite nice uh, little berry, which makes actually what it makes to the flavor. It's kind of binds them together and packs the flavor. So we can actually put much more flavor in the gin, what you can perceive when you taste it neat. Okay. And once we add a drop of uh, tonic in it or more tonic, uh, this uh, aromatics, which have been kind of uh, bound together with the, uh, the distillate from sea buckthorn, will be released. So we have a nice ar aromatics in the gin uh, when it's drinking neat, but then we have like a, I would always like to call it like a, like a tip packed, uh, tip packed, uh, uh, computer, some file, which you can then open and you have much more inside, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's interesting. I think next time that we we go out somewhere and have Napaway gin and tonic, maybe we should just take a moment to actually take in yeah. the aroma as well. So basically, the gin process starts with the alcohol. It will be diluted down to uh, 46 ABV. At that... Uh, ABV, we will add botanicals. So we have 10 dry bot botanicals in our uh, gin recipe. Those have, for, a, for example, in the juniper, we have uh, some local coriander, we have some cardamom, we have uh, uh, some uh, cinnamon, salon, uh, so salon cinnamon, sorry. Uh, we have uh, some caraway, we have a little bit of dill, also local. We've got uh, some uh, orris root, and we got some uh, licorice root. So, yeah, so there, yeah, there are quite yeah. quite many botanicals. I, I won't list all of them because I always forget some <laughs> one or two. So basically, ten dried botanicals steep in the alcohol for sixteen hours. We get the moist, and we get uh, the the aromatic compounds extracted from. Uh, from from the berries and and from the the botanicals into the alcohol and after that it will be pumped in one of these 
uh, copper but still so it's very similar yeah. looking yeah. than on the other side this is, one is only slightly smaller so this one can hold up to uh, 1200 liters of liquid and uh, once it's in the still we add two more botanicals and they call, come in like an aroma basket which we will put inside the head head of the still so when we start distilling uh, all the alcohol vapors will go through this basket and extract the aromas from uh, hibiscus and elderflower. Okay, interesting. So after the distillation process, we will make same cuts than on the other side. Well, they, on this side we don't have any methanol, so there is no methanol cuts, but we will cut the heads, uh, the hearts and the tails. So on this side, the heads and ha tails will be disposed, okay. or they go for the, the biofuel company and uh, the hearts will be used for the gin. So after the distillation, we have 12 botanicals in, uh, that's what we call our base gin, and we prime it with these uh, fresh botanicals I mentioned in the beginning. So that was the meadowsweet, birch leaves, sea buckthorn, and, and granberry. And actually one not so local, we also have a tiny bit of uh, uh, orange peel distillate. And I also made from uh, fresh orange. Hmm. And how long does that process <clears throat> take? So basically the steeping or the maceration takes one day. The second day we can distill. Uh, after that it will be adjusted. Our distiller Jonas, Jonas who is there and is all the time harassing it, us with some kind of background noise there. <laughs> he, he checks that the flavors are right. It will be pumped on one of these big steel tanks here. And we will blend in then like uh, 18 to 20 batches in one of these big tanks. So that will also balance the flavor. And yeah. after two weeks, uh, it will be quality tested. So we have a, a panel. So basically consisting from, from uh, uh, co-workers here, they will taste it blind uh, against uh, how do you call like it? Like a reference. Like a reference sample, which yeah. is a reference of, uh, of the wanted product. And, and if they can see that there is a difference between these two, when they're tasting it blind, then, then it will come back here. But if it, uh, there is no difference found in the blind tasting, then it will be approved for bottling. And so it, it could be within three weeks that it's bottled? Yeah. So basically okay. it takes up like three weeks when uh, from the day we start the distillation uh, when it can be bottled yeah that's good for business especially when you've got high demand it's for a, it as well it's much better for business uh, than than whiskey especially when you're starting up yeah, the business yeah and on this side we wanted to make sure that there is enough capacity so at the the moment we are running the still roughly 10 times a week but we can triple Triple the distillation on this side if needed. We do also a barrel aged gin, but that's a whole. That's a whole uh, other podcast in itself that, again. That, that's yeah. again a, a second episode <laughs> of this. Uh, let's just go uh, all the way to the other end of the hall, and that's where we have our bottling hall. Okay. Now we're at the uh, kind of the, the final stage of yeah. the production, the the bottling. Yeah, room. that's the kind of the final stage of the production and yeah that's our bottling room uh, when we first started 2014 we bottled uh, 5,000 bottles and that was all hand bottled 
we we had a, like a small small uh, bottling machine there, and all the labels were put just with the the hands on top, and and but now we have this fancy bottling uh, machine here, so we <clears throat> we do all our bottling ourselves, all the distillates we produce here, and the bottling has couple of steps so the first one is of course rinsing the bottles the, the bottles are quite uh, clear when they come to us they that's actually are like uh, for us a design bottle model and but for the rinsing the idea is to if there is some dust inside yes. we get rid of that then we have a filling uh, after that we put on top of the cork with the machine as well after that we put the, the plastic seal on top and the labels, front and back label. So this work is not done manually anymore, which is nice. And we can we can produce up to 5,000 bottles a day here. So we can bottle 5,000 bottles when needed. At the moment, we, we do three to four days of bottling in a week. So the first year was 5,000 bottles in a year. Yeah, and now you can do five thousand in a day if you need to. If we need to, last last year we we produced a little bit less than four hundred fifty thousand bottles, and most of it is the gin, uh, our Napoa gin, and our Cosquet gin, and those together are over ninety five percent of all the production. Because then the whiskey is taking that time to age yeah. in the barrels, and it doesn't come through a production yeah. line quite like the uh, yeah the gin. That, that's a that's a whole different game and and unfortunately this year we will have only like two thousand bottles of whiskey to be bottled and but next year because we've been increasing the production two thousand sixteen so next year we can uh, uh tenfold that amount yeah. so next year there will be more Finnish rye malt whiskey available, and the year after that we can uh, go up to 100,000 bottles a year because you've got also in 20 I guess 2022 will be the th- the third year after this big new yeah. distillery over the road as well yeah well that will be m- most likely 2023 but right, okay, uh, okay. after that we can we can then again go to half a million bottles a year which is then a decent amount of whiskey okay whiskey fans so you've only got let's say four years to wait before there will be plenty yeah, of good malt. malt whiskey to go around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but with the whiskey, you need to be patient. Kalle, thank you so much for your time. You give me a lot of your time. Okay, I, I did. really appreciate it. Thank you very it. much. And uh, I, I found it fascinating. I think Satu has as well. She's got a big smile on her face. Yeah, she doesn't talk much on this podcast, yeah. but she smiles in the background. Yeah. So that's, that's also good to have a smile in the background. It, it is indeed. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. So I think that just about wraps up today's show. I'd like to say thank you to Kale for a fantastic experience. If you enjoy the show, you want to show your support, then please take a minute to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It will help me raise the profile of the show. Connect with me on Facebook, that's Explore Finland Radio Show, Twitter, at Explore Finland, and Instagram, which is Mark underscore Explore Finland, or on the website, explorefinlandpodcast.com. Of course, you could also spread the word to your friends on your social network of choice. Let them know about the show and invite them to explore Finland with us. And also, if there's a subject you want me to cover in a future episode, you can contact me via the website or social media, like Keith did. I'd be happy to hear from you and your ideas. If you want more, 
search for your podcast player for the recent Atarizu podcast miniseries or the Finnish football show. Otherwise, until next time, thanks for listening and see you again on the Explore Finland radio show. Bye.